About a hundred years ago, Henry Ford has revolutionized the automobile market and created the first mass market car that was finally available to way more people than previous cars were. And he did it by introducing and really popularizing in the world the concepts of mass manufacturing. Sometime later, Eiji Toyota has come to visit Ford's factories and thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I bet I can do better. And why it's relevant to us, not just an interesting historical note, is what I wanted to discuss with you today on a podcast. Yeah, so um, I read the, a different book before you convinced me to read this one, mm-hmm. The Toyota Way to Lean Leadership. And haven't I recommended this one to you? Yeah, it could be. But but now we're talking about a different book. We're talking about the machine that changed the world. Yes, uh, indeed. And and the machine that changed the world is, is the book. It's a book from the 80s, though it's still very much relevant and, and reads like a modern book. And it's the one that introduced the concepts of um, Toyota production system, aka just-in-time manufacturing, aka lean manufacturing, um, to the Western world and have popularized many of their concepts. Uh, the Toyota way and then the spin-offs came later. Uh, and actually, we'll also mention uh, two other books. Yeah, Two Second Lean by Paul Akers and his fantastic company that keeps improving everything and uh, showing it on videos which are very highly addictive. Oh yeah, and the final one was Lean Thinking by uh, James Womack and Daniel Jones. Yes, so I haven't read the uh, the, the last one. Uh, I have I, I haven't gotten to it yet, but already from from the machine and the lean thing, uh, the second two second lean, I think we can draw lots of conclusions and we have enough sub, enough of a topic for today's podcast. All right, let's go back to the very beginning. So this book is about car manufacturing and manufacturing in general, but. It has many concepts that we found interesting and relevant to our own work and our own lives. So about Henry Ford and mass manufacturing. About a hundred years ago, the Model T was introduced. Now, this is pretty big in the popular culture, or at least um, <laughs> geeky, or, or the pop culture of, of managers' uh, stories about Model T. Uh, one of them is... Yeah, yeah, and the fact that you could order any kind of uh, Model T you wanted, as long as it came in black. Exactly. Yeah. There was just a Model T. There weren't, it wasn't a type of a car with many configurations. No, it was just that, Model T. And it was prepared, not the model, the production system for the Model T. It ran for 13 years without any real changes. And uh, then it was stopped. And the Ford factory closed for three years to retail for the Model A. Anyway, um, what made the Model T successful and affordable, relatively speaking, was the mass manufacturing. Remember, this is the beginning of the 20th century, so this is not obvious yet. Like, mass manufacturing is not entirely new, but it's still pretty new. Yeah, I mean, right? the, cars, so, the cars were very expensive. They were uh, all, you know, handmade by these craftsmen, and then suddenly there yeah. comes Model T, like, and, and he brings freedom to people because he brings a cheap car to the market that he can mass produce. I mean, it was revolutionary. 
Yeah, very much. And and it was possible because of this mass manufacturing as opposed to craftsmanship, right? Like when you when you built a custom to order car built by a group of craftsmen, then everyone is a unique snowflake, right? Oh yes. You everyone turns out slightly different. You need a lot of work to fit all of the parts together. There's no space. There's no possibility to invest into tooling that uh, allows each part to be made very fast by a machine, right? So, so the thinking was, if we can standardize everything, if we can create a big, efficient machine uh, to produce the car, all of the parts, and, and put them all together uh, with people still being cogs in those machines, doing, but doing a very precise, repetitive task, then we can achieve this, this uh, scale, this efficiency. Because although creating this machine will take so much money, uh, so much time to develop uh, the big, efficient machine, once it's done, then it's going to take the machine you know, a couple of seconds to produce a part instead of you know, hours it would take for a craftsman. Um, yeah, and, and, and then well, and then the additional thing uh, is that uh, people can like really quickly learn what they have to do. They're just cranking widgets, as in productivity, mm-hmm. you know, um, um, as we speak and getting things done. You just crank widgets. They they are very replaceable. They are not craftsmen. They are not snowflakes. They're just people who have learned, you know, to bolt this thing here, and that's it. So mm-hmm. so there is no problem with uh, with hiring anyone to do any kind of job very quickly. So 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 it's really mass produced, and you know, people are just masses of people like doing repetitive, very easy work. Yeah. So in in craft production model, uh, you'd have a group of say, 10 craftsmen working on one card at a time. And, and if you measure the time between repeating the same action, like from, from car to, to car, some operation, like attaching this widget to that other widget, then it will be measured in, in hours or days, right? Under a mass manufacturing model, you get a worker that does just one thing or a couple of operations in a loop all day long. And so the, the cycle time for this operation or the time between doing the same thing again would go down to minutes or even seconds. And then, you know, you just do a couple of motions and you can do this more efficiently because like you keep doing the same thing over and over. So you don't have to think about what's next. How do, do I go about that? Where are my tools? No, you just do the same thing over and over and over again, right? Um, another innovation was st- standardization. Yeah. So when you have suppliers, um, then, you know, you might have some technical drawing, but each part is slightly off. And then it's not a problem under craftsman model because, you know, it will take a little bit of beating or sanding or grinding, but we'll make the parts fit, right? But that doesn't work under mass manufacturing. So Ford pushed really hard on standardization and he popularized, um, you know, measuring tools to be able to to make sure that each part that comes from a supplier or some process either is okay or not okay, either too small or too big, so that every time, every single time, everything fits, right? You don't have to think about it. You don't have to rework it. It's just going to fit because it passed the test, so it's the quality product. 
And it's much easier to do that once you have a big efficient machine that does the same thing over and over again. And the part isn't made by a craftsman, but the machine that uses the same steps every time to create the same part. So that was great, but uh, can you see uh, a few problems with this model, Michael? Well, yeah, uh, apart from just you know cranking out the same car all the time and people... Uh, I think I think the problem was that people uh, liked the fact that they could afford finally afford a car, which was great. But people get spoiled very quickly. So suddenly, like, yeah, I want to have a Model T, but uh, in red, or I want to have a you know a pickup truck instead of uh, just yeah. a car, or maybe I want a coupe or something else, or you know I want to have like more uh, load, you know, space or whatever. Like people, we uh, we like to have customization and. With mass production, this is really hard because you would have to uh, have only a few few options and then mm -hmm. mass manufacture many of them and just wait for people to actually buy them. Otherwise, they have, you have to store them. And um, uh, so it's all like you cannot really be very flexible with this. Like you can be yes. slightly flexible, but not really much. Right. So, so here's the big problem, one of them, and that is inflexibility. And I already had a spoiler alert by saying that uh, they had to shut down their factories for three years. Maybe exactly. I messed it up. Maybe it was a year. Point is, a long time to retool the whole factory for a different car, right? And there are many other problems. And they stem from the fact that under the mass manufacturing thinking, the thinking is uh, bigger is better, right? If you can make a bigger machine, yes, it's going to cost more money, but, you know, making a, um, say, a painting booth that takes one car at a time and one that takes three cars at a time, the larger one is not going to cost three times as much, right? Only maybe twice as much. So the bigger, the better. And once you have it, since you've invested so much money into, um, into the machine, into the production process, it can never stop, right? It has to work 24-7 ideally to keep cranking out widgets to keep making money because the time is not so much in the steps performed by uh, by the people but in the cost of building the machine so the more parts it can crank out the better and and this hides many types of waste this hides many problems just pushes them to a different spot so for example under the mass manufacturing model in car assembly which is like <laughs> when talking about manufacturing, uh, like to a normal person, like the, the the first the first thing they have in their mind is probably a car assembly line. It's just so iconic to see the the cars moving from the beginning of the factory towards the end. Everything is synchronized. You have the big orange robots that uh, you know pick one part, put it in another place, weld them, etc., yeah. etc. Et right? And um, what happens if a worker tries to fit a part and it uh, doesn't fit. What happens then, Michael? Well, they try as much as they can. If, but if not, the, this, they, they just fit it any way they can and just mark it. Okay, it's, we have to fix it later. And just it moves on. Moves on. <laughs> right. Um, because in the mass machine, like every stop, if, if the thing would stop, it would cause lots of problems because the whole you know the factory would stop and yeah. they must never stop so so actually the workers are are incentivized to just push things forward and uh, like postpone problems put, put, like put them for later like you know like we'll mm -hmm. deal with this later yeah exactly the thinking is you can't stop the machine because the whole car assembly factory is synchronized 
So if you stop the line, you've stopped the entire factory. The entire factory doesn't make money. That's a problem, right? So you just let the car go, even though it's broken. Yeah. And you know that, that it has a defect. And then it, it goes into a separate line for rework, right? But, but that's a problem, because like then you might have to disassemble a lot of the car to get into the broken part and then fix it. Exactly. I mean, this this can be a, a problem really like early on. Then 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 to get there like later. It's, yeah. So basically, what you're doing later in the later stages is you're you're building up on the problem, right? Yeah. So the car can be inherently broken inside, and and then yeah, very hard to fix. Yeah. Exactly. So like yeah, the the assembly line is efficient, sort of. But then you have this hidden cost that's the, uh, that's the result of this efficient machine, which is very inefficient, very wasteful, which is rework, right? Uh, because you have defects and you have to fix them and you have to fix them in a quite inefficient way because of the way the whole machine is set up, the whole assembly line, right? So now let's start talking about uh, lean manufacturing or the Toyota production system and, and what Toyota uh, with a D, not a T, uh, saw uh, and kind of learned from Ford or what he saw as possible improvements because he saw the production line. Before mm -hmm. before we start, just an explanation. His name was Toyoda, uh, mm -hmm. but Toyoda meant something in Japanese and uh, they thought that they should uh, rename the company so that doesn't mean anything that's symbolic for them. And that's why they changed the name of the company to Toyota uh, with yeah. T. So, but but he is the founder. So it's so it's, Toyota is the name of the guy. Toyota is the name of the company. They changed it. There was like a whole voting system to 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 get this approved, as far as I understand. So uh, that's why there's a difference. There you go. All right. So he saw the factory and he thought this is great. Um, great that you can um, manufacture cheap cars there, Ford. But um, uh, yeah, the Japanese market is different. First of all. We kind of lost the war and we're kind of not rich yet. Uh, so that's a problem. And we can't just make one kind of a car. Like we need an average car. We need a car for rich people. We need a car for government officials. And we need a, like a bus or something, right? Mm. So uh, yeah, Ford, we can't exactly afford to have four factories extremely efficient at making one type of car. That kind of doesn't work, right? But that's a problem, right? Like, how do you do that, right? If the whole if the whole point of mass manufacturing is that these this the efficiency the the affordability comes from the mass aspect. So let me talk about um, three pillars of Toyota production system or lean manufacturing, and then we'll explain them one by one. Mm -hmm. The first pillar is identifying waste. That's often hidden waste. The second of all is just in time production and the third is kaizen or continuous improvement so um, let's talk about eight types of waste that's overproduction transportation inventory overprocessing defects motion waiting and unused talent so let's let's talk about those uh, in the mass manufacturing system yeah the machine is efficient but there are these hidden wastes uh, to make the machine efficient it has to run all the time so you overproduce. Like you're not matching production with the demand for it. You just produce all day long because that's the most efficient thing, right? But then if you overproduce, you have inventory. And 
It's one thing if the thing you produce is not of great value, but a car is really expensive. And if the average time, uh, which was in the 80s, uh, if I remember correctly, about the norm in the Western world, it takes six to eight weeks from the point, from the moment of manufacturing to the moment of sale of the car, like for two months, this very expensive item just sits there and doesn't make money. It stands there like... Yeah. yeah, you invested money in it and you didn't get it back. If you have inventory, you have to manage it. It takes a lot of space. You have to make a building for it, maybe. Um, it's just, yeah, that, that, that's a lot. That's another thing for the, the difference between Japanese and Americans. In America, they have so much space. They have so much like land. Yeah. But in Japan, you have no land. You have no place to put stuff. Like You have to be efficient with this. Yeah. Uh, then there's defects. So, um, again... You might have produced something quote unquote efficiently, but if you have a defect, then that can be quite costly, right? And that can be a significant part of the total cost in the end of manufacturing something. Overprocessing, so extra steps that are not necessary to produce something, if maybe there's a more efficient process. Uh, transportation, so moving, you know, moving things from one factory to, to another, et cetera, et cetera. Motion, so the the motion of workers that are are wasting time walking or uh, reaching over to make us like an operation in the manufacturing process um, when maybe they don't want to. Uh, waiting, so again, the waiting of the customer, uh, waiting for a supplier, etc., and unused talent. Because under the mass manufacturing model, uh, the, work the factory workers are pure cogs of the system. They're given an extremely simple task and are meant to follow it uh, exactly. So you're only paying them for their hands and not for their brains. Um, and, and this is going to be important when we talk about Kaizen. Anyway, so those are the eight types of waste. And, and waste for a lean thinker, lean manufacturing thinker, is everything that doesn't directly give value to the customer, right? So the customer doesn't care about your manufacturing process. They just want the, the car, yeah. right? or the app, or whatever. They don't care about your internal mechanics. They want what they want, at the price they want, at the time they want, and 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 that's what you're supposed to provide. And it better work. Yeah, so most of the, what most companies do is waste, right? It doesn't directly affect um, the outcome, what the customer gets. All of managing is kind of waste. Like it doesn't directly um, give anything to the, to the customer. Like you have, you know, layers of middle management, you know, that are managing managers and the managers of management, then this is, for example, you know, waste. Yeah. So some waste might be unavoidable at the current time due to technology or economics or the broader environment, but a lot of the waste is avoidable. Now, how are we going to avoid it? Under the mass manufacturing model, um, well, it's kind of difficult. You just have to come up with the efficient process and build it perfectly from the start. This is kind of um, naive. Well, not kind of, it is very naive. <laughs> like you're just not gonna get it perfectly the first time. And even if you do, it's gonna cost a lot of time and a lot of money during which you're not learning because you're not manufacturing, right? And this brings us to Kaizen. Kaizen means continuous improvement. So the idea is that you do continuously improve the process, even if it means doing things that to a mass manufacturing thinker might seem inefficient, um, but are necessary to eliminate waste. 
So let's get back to Toyota and his problem with what to do about uh, you know the necessity for multiple models. One example I really liked in the book is um, sheet metal stamping. So um, you know how parts of the car's body are made using sheet metal stamping, right? You, yeah. you get a sheet of metal and you stamp it between two dice, the top part and the bottom part, they fit perfectly, and you press them under a lot of pressure and the metal deforms to, f- to fit whatever shape you make the die into. Now, if you have multiple parts, then you need multiple dies. The dies are very expensive. But there's another problem, which is that to replace the dies in the, the sheet metal stamping machine takes a lot of time. Uh, it's gonna take half a day for a very, um, you know, for a specialist, because you really don't wanna mess it up. Right? It's a lot of pressure. So if the two parts of the die don't fit perfectly, they're gonna impact on each other and you're gonna break the die. And they cost hundreds of thousands of dollars because of how big they are, the special metals they use, the level of quality of the dies you need, right? So you can't mess it up. But if it takes half of the day to retool your uh, stamping machine, you're gonna make a big batch of those parts before you, um, change out the dice and it's best if you have multiple uh, stamping machines so that you can run multiple parts in parallel so now you're overproducing because you're gonna want like two months of inventory since it takes half a day to replace the die Uh, so you get overproduction Uh, if you have overproduction then you might not notice um, quality problems immediately then you go into defects and overprocessing you have to store it as inventory and uh, and you have waiting right? All kinds of waste. So for mass manufacturing, this is kind of inevitable. But if you have a lean manufacturing mindset and you're not starting from the thought of how do we make this piece of machinery, um, how, how can we use this capital to the best potential it has by producing all the time, but by thinking, well, what is the true, true reason for this wasted time? And then you start thinking, okay, how can I make the uh, sheet metal stamping press more efficient to change out? And then you improve and improve and improve. And then uh, Toyota, you know, comes up with a, a way and invents a quick change sheet metal stamping machine, which um, makes the time to change out the dice into two or three minutes without the need for a specialist. But how do they do that? How do they change the, 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 the die, reconfigure it? If, if it's so difficult to do it, if it was so difficult to do it in the mass production, how did they reach this this effectiveness of, of only a few minutes? I don't know exactly, but I would assume that the two parts of the die um, have some sort of indexing features so that uh-huh. by just like pushing it against some edge, you have absolute certainty that it's gonna fit. So you just ha- have to manufacture those those dies perfectly the first time, and then if they fit, they're going to be perfect, right? And if you have some more primitive method of mounting those dies, then you need a specialist to make sure that it's perfectly aligned, and that can take a few hours because you can't mess it up. Ah, okay, okay, mm-hmm. right. Um, so that's one example. And then how would a lean manufacturing um, car assembly company go about a worker that found a problem before you before you do that mm-hmm. to sum up the idea was that even though this you know this metal stamping machine would not produce as many units 
um, in the lean, manuf- lean, fact- lean factory as you pay per mm-hmm. day, let's say, as in the mass production, the cool thing is because you can change it and conf- reconfigure it every other, you know, every few minutes, uh, you can produce just fewer parts, but parts that can be um, different, that can be, uh, and this way you don't have invent- inventory and all that stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. So you are moving slower, but moving more efficiently and you are avoiding, you know, stocking lots of the same parts, right? Uh, yes. So you're you're eliminating the hidden types of waste, mm-hmm. right? You don't overproduce, you don't store them, there's yeah. a smaller chance of defects because you're going to notice them immediately mm-hmm. and you can provide something new, uh, which is you can have more variety because you have more flexibility. And then the, the downside is minimized through the process of Kaizen by figuring out, okay, like finding the root cause. So to make it faster anyway. Yeah, like why is it so hard to change out the stupid Mm -hmm. dice? And then you fix that. And then the overhead of doing that is very small, right? And you eliminate so much more other waste that will be hidden under the the old process. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So um, about that car where a part didn't fit, what... What a worker do in a Toyota factory, Michael? Yeah, this is the this is the cool part. So if and it was shown very nicely in the uh, in the in the book of Toyota production system, the one that I read before, where they tried to introduce kaizen and uh, uh, lean manufacturing in America, and mm-hmm. uh, and and how they had to really change people's mindset. So what they would do, like there is a worker, the car uh, and the part is wrong, or you know has a failure, has a problem, the, in lean manufacturing, they stop it. They stop the whole factory. Yeah. And and that's the crazy, the crazy part because they stop really the whole factory. Everything stops. And then people gather around, look at it, assess the damage, uh, see what's wrong, uh, fix it as, soo- as, as, as quick as they can. And they have already a process in place to make sure this doesn't happen ever again. So they are fig- trying already to figure out um, you know, a, a way to improve this situation in the future to make sure that this defect doesn't show up again. Because uh, as we said many times over in this uh, on this podcast, only a crazy person thinks that uh, but just by doing the same thing over and over, you get different results. So <laughs> this is this is the yeah. thing. They want to have better results, so they are already thinking of of um, uh, improving this. And what I really liked. Like going forward, like when they tried to introduce this in the um, in America, there was mm-hmm. the situation where there was a Japanese manager who was overseeing the introduction to of lean, factor, lean manufacturing to American um, employees, and he was standing there and he saw that there is a defect. That there is a defect, and the the the, the American worker is trying to really, really he like he has his you know time frame where he can fix this, and he's he was reaching his the end of his time frame or like uh, you know this thing was moving and he was still trying to fix it and fix it and he he wouldn't fix it it it, it there would be a defect, and he didn't pull the you know the the cord to stop the factory, mm-hmm. the manager the, Ameri- the, the 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 Japanese manager did pull the cord. And apologized to the American um, uh, factory worker and said, I'm so sorry. You haven't pulled the cord. It means I haven't taught you enough how this works and and why this is important that you do pull the cord and that we fix this problem. Uh, I will be better in the future. I will. Uh, we will do everything we can to teach you 
to, to do better. Like, it was it was so crazy because the American guy he thought that because he has the guy the, this this Japanese uh, manager behind his back, um, uh, he will shout at him, you know, and then start you know throwing <laughs> insulting insulting you know and discard, discouraging words at him. It was just the other way around. Uh, the Japanese uh, manager realized this guy still doesn't understand the main principle why it's so important to stop the factory, fix the problem, figure out why the, the defect happened in the first place, and then continue. It's not a problem. It in the beginning, yes, the factory stops very, very, very often, and it's it's annoying, it's it's pain in the ass, and people are discouraged. But once they get the hang of it, the factory stops less and less and less until it fi finally almost never stops because almost yeah. everything is fixed. Yeah, exactly. So, look, such a completely one hundred and eighty degree turn in thinking, right? Under traditional mass manufacturing, this would be insane. Because like like you're stopping the whole goddamn factory, like it's stupid, but but the idea is that this should never happen in the first place. Yeah, the defect should be there. There is an underlying problem, which means it can be improved and it can be eliminated. And quality that's always one hundred percent is the goal. It's kind of a given. That's what the customer expects. And if it's not at hundred percent, it means that there is a problem in the process, which must be found and alleviated. And at the beginning, it seems less efficient, but in the end, as you could see in numbers for not just Toyota, but other lean manufacturers and like factories, uh, like even American manufacturers in the, in the 80s going towards this direction and adopting some of those principles, you could see in the numbers, in how many cars they could uh, produce, for a given number of workers, for a given factory floor space, um, how many types of cars they could produce in under one roof, etc., etc. You could just see that this model is better, that it's an improved version of mass manufacturing. It's not going back to the roots of craft, um, you know, craft manufacturing. It's an improved version, and and this this like stopping the whole factory, it. You know, a lean manufacturing operation will have a slower ramp up, or seemingly so, because it has this learning process. But once it gets to a certain point, after a certain uh, amount of time, they're just going to be so much more efficient. And the line will almost never stop, even though every worker will stop it if a problem occurs. Just because through this process, through Kaizen, every day, they've eliminated pretty much everything that would cause the factory to stop. Yeah, and uh, the, the the idea is that these workers, they are not, they, they are uh, like waste seekers. Like they are still looking at, at the ways to improve it and at the ways to do things uh, better. Like in the in the book that you mentioned, um, they say really bad things about European car manufacturers. Mm. <laughs> that uh, they are pretty wasteful. And I remember when I was studying in Germany, um, we did have just in time and kaizen and uh, i remember there was a, like there was um, a story from volkswagen um, a factory that was adopting mm -hmm. finally in the 90s and, uh, and the just in uh, the just in time and you know lean manufacturing and kaizen mm -hmm. and there was this uh, situation when one of the workers who was responsible for painting the car figure out that you can paint the car uh, like on a different color like mix the colors differently to receive to get the same result and actually better quality of the paint mm -hmm. and just with this kind of small improvement 
the savings were in millions of euros. <laughs> just this kind of, you know, he just realized, like, uh, actually, you know, with this and this, we can do better. This just one thing saved the millions of cars that they were painting, you know? Wait, just, but, but Michael, are you saying that, that assembly plant workers have brains and they can think of improvements? Yeah, I mean, for me, for me, this... I will be repeating this phrase from the Two Second Lean book um, mm -hmm. over and over in my life. It's stuck in my, in my head. This fact that somebody said at the end of their work, uh, like when they were retired, they said, you know, I, I spent so many years in this factory and I've given them my, my, my hands all the time while they could have had my brains for free and they haven't used them. So this kind of idea that... Uh, you only hire cogs in a machine. You hire people just for their hands and not mm -hmm. for their brains. Is so wasteful. <laughs> this it's inherently wasteful. Yeah. So um, you and I are not really familiar with this in practice, but we know that in so many large operations, large companies the managers, the people at the top are very far removed from the actual work, for, from the real thing, from the people that really build the thing, that really crank the widget, right? And, and one of the ideas of Toyota production system is that, well, actually, all the managers, all the people are at the top come to serve the people on the factory floor because they, and only they, are the ones that actually provide value to the, to the customer. They're the ones that, that paint their cars, that put them all together, and everything above is a type of waste that yes. might be um, a necessity. But the managers, they're not the ones at the gemba or the, the real place, the real thing, the, the, the place where the, the real thing is happening, which is, you know, in this example, a factory floor and the assembly worker. So the person actually doing the thing, whatever the thing is, is probably going to have the most experience of it, the most thoughts of where, where they waste time, what could be improved about it. And they might need some help to push them into that sort of thinking to start noticing waste. But if you're a CEO of Toyota, you probably don't have a good clue about how to, um, you know, where the, the time is wasted in the process of, I don't know, screwing in the, uh, uh, the doors to the frame. Well, except that you do, because all of the managers start their work, uh, start their careers at the factory floor. Exactly. And this is, this is so important that um, in all the stories, in all the um, like stories of really successful companies, what you hear over and over again is that the uh, the managers, the owners, the founders, they started in the beginning, and also the managers started in the in the you know on the floor. They know the nuts and bolts of the business mm -hmm. before they start managing the business. Because as you mentioned, how can you know what to improve, what to do better, if you actually have no idea what's happening on the floor? Like you you you're completely like left out of it. Yeah, and one of the results of that is. You know, in large organizations, the managers, the CEOs think of like really big picture improvements, like huge reorganizations and this and that, and like buying very expensive equipment or doing other very expensive things because that's the scale at which they're looking at it. But the whole process is fractal, 
right? It's composed of smaller processes, which are composed of smaller processes. And at the end, you have the person uh, putting in nuts and bolts into the car. And all of that, each little step is probably wasteful. And you could probably eliminate overproduction there, motion, defects, overprocessing, etc. right? You can probably use um, the talent, the, the smarts of the person doing the thing um, to notice how wasteful it is. And if you cut waste from all of the little processes, uh, voila, who would, th who would have thought? Turns out you can improve the whole thing, the whole operation of the whole company by a lot in the small things, not in the, the huge things where you have less leverage. Yeah, but the thing is, my experience has taught me, uh, even managing a company like ours, where we have our values, where we have everything that we do, we we are a productivity company, you know, we uh, we have a piece of software that makes other people awesome and we, uh, like we get shit done. Uh, still, even here, I realized that you have to really, like we have still a long way to go to, to prompt people to to speak up to to notice the you know uh, like we are already in, in, in introducing this uh, in our company we'll talk about it later but the thing is that even with knowledge workers who are smart and who are using you know their smarts in their work they are not trained to search for waste they are not trained to search for improvements they think you know uh, okay Michael said that this should be done like this it will be done like this. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, but haven't you seen that they like, did this thing that you know? Uh, yeah, but I thought it, it would be okay. Like, they, they, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's mm -hmm. really we still have to really like it's a cultural thing, and this, this is what was mentioned both in, in in all of these books that you have to introduce a culture of searching for waste, a culture of searching for continuous improvement, a, a culture of looking at problems, uh, to because otherwise. Uh, you know, it will be just bursts of, oh, let's improve something, you know, this week, and that's it. And then for next, you know, years, you're not doing anything. This should be a, a that's why Kaizen means mm -hmm. continuous improvement. And the continuous, this word continuous is not there for, uh, <laughs> uh, for just for kicks. <laughs> it's there for a reason, because this process never stops. As you mentioned, you improve something, great. But then after a while, you're like, huh, but maybe this can be improved even more, you know? So it's, it's, it's like a process that it's, you know, it's making better and better and better. In The Machine That Changed the World, they quoted um, Toyota people saying that they're not in the business of making cars, but they're in the business of improving the process of making cars. And the same thing is true for us. Now, our case is a little bit different, like, because we have some operational stuff, like, customer support, that's operations. But most of what we do is research and development. And that has different qualities because we don't crank out the exact same widget over and over. This, it's more difficult to find um, processes that repeat over and over that you can improve and squeeze in. And yet, still, there are things we do over and over. And still, there's a lot of waste in what we do. Like, how much of my or your work, like, how many, how many of the seconds we spend in front of our computers were directly affecting the outcome for the customer? Not many. Most of it is fighting with technology, communicating, collaborating, figuring out how to fix something that's broken, uh, doing 
micromanaging of a piece of process that could be improved and we don't even notice that and because we don't do the exact same the exact same thing over and over it's harder to notice that hey there's waste here that can be improved but as long as there is a process you're making something whatever that is product or service uh, manufacturing or digital and there is a customer there's going to be waste and there's going to be space for continuous improvement. Ain't that right? Yeah, and, and, and the thing is that um, once I started reading, especially the two-second uh, lean um, oh, yeah. book, I realized that we both like had our like have our spurts and our or our you know moments of 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 kaizen but like we didn't put a name on it that much like for yeah. example this fact right now that i sit in my new renovated home office um i keep as as you know on my blog there is a whole diary of me renovating my home office every year or every other year um because i always see waste see where I can improve, where I can improve my environment, where I work. I spend, you know, many, many hours a day here. So I want to make sure that this is the best environment I can be in. Uh, so I realized that I have that. The same goes with my journaling. Like I, to reduce the barrier of entry, to, re to make sure that I do journal every day, uh, I created a shortcut, a series shortcut, and it was before it was called Workflow. And I published several articles on my blog, again, how I was improving and improving and improving. And recently I, I posted the latest one, uh, my journaling process to make sure that I I can do a better, you know, write a better journal. And on the other hand, that I can be more consistent with my uh, journaling. But you got that right. We have bursts of this thing, right? Like we we didn't have the name for it and we've already been sort of familiar with uh, many of the concepts of Toyota production system we just kind of like uh, got re-inspired by it but we didn't have a name for this and we didn't do it continuously right we have our moments there are some aspects of our work or of our lives where we would use that sort of thinking and continuously improve but there are others where we just wouldn't where you would just wouldn't fully realize the need for it, the necessity for it, the um, the huge return on investment of continuously improving. Um, speaking of the two second lean book, um, one thing I loved about it is the idea that money kills creativity. Yeah, right. Yeah, that was really good. Meaning that um, most improvements in productivity, in efficiency are simple. Like you just need to have the right mindset for it. You have to look out for it. You have to um, develop a watchful eye for waste, small and big kinds of waste, and improve that continuously. And most of those things just require you noticing and your ingenuity and simple creative solutions, not big complicated things, you know, expensive software packages, big new machines. Um, sometimes that might make sense, but again, waste is fractal, right? You have small bits of huge waste and you have an enormous amount of little bits of waste, which can be solved very, very quickly. And over time, all of them getting better and better, uh, <laughs> made a lot of waste through that. Yeah, it's, it's so in contra of this thinking, you know, if we had more money, we would have the good things, right? Yeah. Uh, 
but actually you can have the good things <laughs> but just uh, you know less expensive good things <laughs> and think about uh, all these ideas that you can do and and that's why for me always like this concept of having a um, small company that does great things that uh, that you know has that launches software for you know many people um, to use uh, is so dear to my heart I know that if we were just too big of a software company, we would have so, so much more waste, so much more places we would just lose time and, you know, do stupid things. So that's why uh, it's a process uh, we need to learn to really make sure that we leverage our smallness, <laughs> our small team. Um, we do hire and we do like make the team a little bit bigger, but we want to make sure that we don't create, like hire just to, you know, to throw money at the problem. Mm. where we could throw our planes at the problem first. Yeah, uh, let's talk a, a little bit more about the Two Second Lean book. And trust me, I could I could talk for hours about just the, the Toyota manufacturing stuff. But um, this one was good. It was very much in your style. It was very quick, very short. Oh, yeah. uh, the, the guy Paul Akers has your kind of attitude and energy and and kind of fitness stuff and he makes a ton of of these crappy quality videos on his iphone and i love them because they're just straight to the point like he has this um, manufacturing company in america called fast gap and they they built they manufacture physical products and most of them they make under this one roof in this one building in the USA and they make like stuff for like woodworkers and whatnot like like stuff that's mostly about improving their work so doing their kaizen yeah and this guy he he has literally hundreds if not thousands of youtube videos most of them one or two minutes long showing just small one one improvement and they have hundreds of products you know and so they have many like small, tiny manufacturing cells where a worker um, goes through this process um, and they show how they've eliminated, you know, two seconds of waste in the, in the process, right? So we have one widget and cranking it out takes 30 seconds. And then they show a video how they cut it to 20 seconds. And then they show how they cut it to 10 seconds, right? And and most of those those improvements are so simple, like a very simple jig they they made in a workshop in half an hour, rearranging boxes. Like most of their kind of workspace is just pieces of of plywood, um, cardboard boxes, and just figuring out the right sequence of hand motions to like take a take apart from this box, take apart from this box, put it together, do this, do something like that, put it in the uh, completed bin. Right? Simple things like literally cranking out widgets and it's so addictive just watching this so addictive because it's like you have a thing and they show you how they improved it and they how they improved it again and again and again and they just can't stop yeah and what he what he argues in the book is actually to record videos before and after videos that he mm -hmm. says that this is so convincing and it's true every before and after video is very convincing uh, this is i like what I, what you do in uh, on our slack where you post a before and after video when you for example when you've made an improvement in performance like mm -hmm. you show before michael when you open a task it would be like this and after it's like this and then we can see like in a tangible way okay that was good because if you just post <laughs> yeah. a, the new one and just show oh this is how, how it's done now You're like Okay, good. Whatever. 
Yeah. But when you see the difference, when you can spot like the before and after effect, it's amazing. It's 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 you know it's much more um, uh, tangible. Yeah, and especially over time, because um, when talking about uh, app performance, some of those improvements are pretty pretty stunning. Like sometimes you can cut something in half or or cut um, in thirds in couple of hours or minutes of time but but sometimes some problems are really difficult but need to get improved and you have a 10% improvement there a 20% improvement there another 5% there and then uh, two weeks later you you compare the beginning and after and you get a 3x improvement and it's like stunning I still remember uh, like a year ago when we were uh, having our fir- first like semi-official you know closed beta prototype of of Nosby teams and it, it was like the sync was so slow that I was kind of desperate I was like come on like this is really it has to be that bad like like you said it would be better you said it would be better technology whatever that like, it should be yeah. fast sync what happened like you know where did we go wrong and then suddenly you started, you know, uh, like all of you guys started uh, like pushing for performance. And then suddenly we got like such an improvement. Like now sync is just so fast that you, know, you barely net notice it. So it's it's amazing. The again, as you said, like slowly, gradually improve here, improve improve there, improve there, and it just get uh, like it compounds. And um, and this is really great. And I think additional. Like additional aspect that 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 I th- I'm not sure was mentioned there so explicitly as it should is the fact of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Like once something is faster, it's not only that it's faster and more efficient, blah blah blah, five seconds here, but as you as you can see in these videos of this guy and and like um, and, and in my own life, if I when I tweaked a script, if I tweaked something else, if I tweaked something in my home office, I'm using it with more enjoyment. I'm I'm happier because it's better. It's not just because it, only because it's faster. It's just yeah. nicer to use because it's more efficient. I don't know. There is some additional, you know, um, uh, emotional uh, situation here that I just I just like that it's like this. It's just it's just better now. Yeah. So so about the two second lean book and Paul Akers, his weapon, his atomic bomb is enthusiasm, like. <laughs> He doesn't go into too many details. Like he shares stories and inspires you. He doesn't go into too many details about the process, about how exactly they've done something, blah blah blah. Boring. He he just infects you with 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 the the idea, the philosophy that that you can get it done and it's going to be amazing, right? But 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 I I agree. Like it's it is great. And uh, speaking of of Toyota. Um, and, and, and like physical manufacturing, like when you think of um, being an assembly worker, that, that kind of sounds like drudgery, and to a large extent it is. And I we've we've omitted so many details from it, but going through the, the machine that changed the world, you can really see that one of the the additional features of the lean manufacturing system is that it's a lot more humane you know yes because even even if you are a lowly assembly worker um you don't have the precise specification that you follow over and over and over again you do at first as a teaching process to give you the best process we have right now and then you improve it because you're the person that does this right and kind of the approach to many things is like that like the uh between 
the manufacturing company company and the suppliers whereas the the kind of standard western model thinking would be to just say hey we need the this exact part and um yeah who wants to make it right and you would pick the company the supplier that would um uh, want the least amount of money for it and then guess what the the relationship is very adversarial and both will want to cheat at each other right and then after a year you just dump them get someone else right whereas the 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 toyota way would be to uh, to have a group of trusted suppliers a many many year contract with a um, cost reduction plan right like we start from here uh, we want this kind of part you figure out the details and collaboration because like we trust you to do that and um, you commit to supplying this many parts for this amount of money and we have a plan to get this price down to to these levels over time just as we learn how to manufacture it efficiently and if you can figure out how to get even better uh, savings that's on you like you're gonna earn more money right yes. and it's just such a more humane relationship where both companies can grow and improve and not be uh, you know in such an adver adversarial relationship that the only way for the supplier to win is to cheat the bigger company and yet they're cheated out of everything that the big company can cheat them out of so they have no space to grow themselves and improve their processes this is such a capitalistic way of thinking, you know, like who has more leverage, like who has a stronger arm, like, you know, uh, who has a better negotiating position instead of let's work together, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and, and this, and this is, uh, and what I like about this system is that it not, it's not only the manufacturers, you know, the, the suppliers, but it spreads also to the customer, like customers kind of a, a part of 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 the whole production system because customer is the is the planning they 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 talk to customers they they realize what the customers really need and with them they figure out which kind of cars they need to produce like it's yeah. it's 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 all part of one big system right it's, it's not like you know we're gonna um email a bunch of people and ask them what what they think <laughs> about our new car no we are we know our customers very well. We know at which which intervals they change the cars. We know how their families grow. Like we know so much about them, but not in a creepy way. We know this to make sure that we can get them cars they really want, and uh, and and we get them involved in the uh, in the whole you know planning process of the cars. So it's 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 really like as you said, very humane. It it you know it it there is no tough negotiation with the with the dealer to make sure who has more leverage no it's let's let's build cars cars together for you let's give you the best price let's give you the best uh, of everything to make sure that it's the car that you really want yeah uh, under the 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 traditional american model you overproduce cars because you have to because that's the system right and then you have those dealerships um and they will shove the cars down people's throats and that would be kind of their thing that, well, the, um, the dealership has these cars and no one wants to buy them. So we got to trick people into buying them because they're there because they overproduced, right? Because no one wants it. And um, under the just-in-time manufacturing system, uh, th there's a so-called pull system. So manufacturing starts with the customer, not ends with it, right? Manufacturing is triggered from the order. 
right? And it goes all the way down to all the su suppliers, right? You you don't make a huge batch because that's because that's not the only way to produce stuff because you have a better system because you improve it over time and you don't have these inventories that no one wants to buy. No, someone wants to buy something that triggers production all the way down and then it propagates quickly because there's no overproduction, there's no inventory or as little inventory as possible and it flows to the customer. And then you can, if you're a car manufacturer, you can, um, you know, you still have big limitations on technology, but much fewer, right? You can, yeah. uh, you can offer a huge variety of cars and not have to worry about, you know, selling them at a discount just to force, force them down people's throats. Because you know what people want, because that's what you base production on. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, like, as you said, it's very humane. And I think it, it, it takes, it motivates all the stakeholders to do their best work. And th this ultimately is the best way to run any business. So uh, that's why uh, at the end of the book, the, the authors are arguing so much that lean is the way to go. We have to teach lean. We have to, uh, you know, we have to make sure that everybody starts uh, uh, with the lean production system. And that's this, the same thing that that um, uh, two second lean author also argues that, you know, he's right now showing all these videos, showing all this, his enthusiasm uh, to infect you with the lean ideas and with Kaizen and whatever. <laughs> All right, let's end this episode because we're overproducing it. Yes. And uh, we'll talk more about it in the context of what we've learned from it and the Im improvements we're putting into motion at Nosby. But a uh, couple of um, things we're going to recommend. Uh, definitely recommend The Machine That Changed the World. Um, that's the book about the Toyota production stem. That's the book from the 80s. It's great to read. But Two Second Lean by, by Paul Akers is also great. It's more approachable. It's uh, much shorter. Also a good read. Uh, Lean Thinking is the book from the authors of The Machine That Changed the World about applying those lessons into like existing enterprises. Uh, and of course, the Fast Cap videos on YouTube. Like it's, it's total, you know. Time sync. Just, <laughs> yes. Uh, so much Kaizen there, very satisfying. Just, just, just watch it. Yeah. So, so my recommendations with these videos, if you don't want to waste lots of time just watching the videos because they're addictive, it, like for me, the best, the best value for money were the videos. Like they had recaps, like what the best improvements of year this of this year, the best improvements of that year. Like when you can see across the whole company how many people are improving stuff and they are proud of their improvements they own their improvements and they are so happy that you know i improved this and that fantastic The annoying thing about recording uh, uh, vlogging uh, with an external microphone on the iPad is that there is no visual information that you're recording audio from a different device. Uh. So you just, you have to trust that when you're recording a video right now, everything works. <laughs> you know, I would say in the lean um, spirit that there is no pokayoke or mistake proofing in there. Yeah. <laughs>